So some of you guys will start out today, or later today, you'll start your cookouts. How many of you guys planning on uh, grilling some hamburgers or hot dogs or brats or something this afternoon? Anybody? A few of you? What's one of the things that as you start that grill out that's just pesky that you keep doing this? Get away. What is it? Flies. Flies. We hate flies, don't we? Like flies, stay off of my food. Do you know that flies actually do not live that long? The common house fly only lives between 15 to 30 days. And some of you are like, that's way too long. If you think that's short, the house fly's first cousin is called the mayfly. And the mayfly barely lives through to make it to the fly reunion because they only live one day. So the mayfly has already finished high school, college, got married, had kids, and was laid to rest and had an epitaph of what a day by the time you guys showed up at church today. So, you know, oftentimes we make plans and we find ourselves making major plans and decisions, living day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, you think about it, we're already over halfway through 2021, which is nuts to think about. And we often neglect to hear what God is saying or wanting to do in our lives through our plans. We're just like the mayfly. We're really clueless how short life really is. It amazes me as humans how we live our lives every day while simultaneously being clueless about our future. And this really reveals a truth about us. The way we live our present lives are based on who or what we trust. I'm going to say that again. How we live our lives really tells a lot about who or what we trust. Tomorrow is unknown. We've learned a lot about that over the last year and a half. Tomorrow is unknown, so who or what we trust plays a huge role in how we navigate our unknown future. But I'm here to tell you that we can boldly face an unknown future if we yield our lives to a known God. We know God, don't we? We know God because he has revealed himself to us in scripture. This morning with our youth, as we were uh, in our youth group time, we were talking about the names of God. Why are the names of God so important in the Old Testament? Because through the names of God, God reveals his character, his attributes, and who he is to us. So we can face an unknown future. Why? Because we have our trust and a known God. A God that we know that is in control. We're going to look in James chapter 4 this morning. James was the half-brother of Jesus. So a lot of the things that you hear James write in his book in the Bible were things that he heard Jesus say that he just kind of regurgitated and wrote down. And we're going to look at three sections of Scripture in James, chapters 4 and 5. The first two sections reveal what happens when we place our assurances in things we revere or idolize. We're often blinded by these things because they hide out deep down in the dark crevices of our heart. But James is going to reveal them 
and show them to be kind of counterfeit saviors in our lives. And the final section in classic James form gives us a practical way that we can trust God. But first, let's look at a place we can easily put our confidence in. James, in chapter 4, verse 13, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. That is a true saying, and this passage is not in any way trying to convince us that we should not plan. That's not what this passage is saying. Instead, it implies that God's will is often absent in our plans. We're not seeking God when we make our plans. So James gives us two simple warnings here as we make our plans in the future. The first warning is, we don't know what tomorrow brings. We have no idea. We do not know if all of us will be back here together worshiping God next Sunday. We do not know that. God is the only person who can say with confidence what the future holds. God cannot be wrong about tomorrow. Why? Because he is the beginning. He is the right now and the end. He exists outside of time. He is omnipresent in his nature. I don't know what the future holds, but as the hymnist says, I know who holds my future. We can face an unknown future because we serve a known God who holds that future. Second warning James gives us, planning without God reveals our arrogance. How is it that we can be so confident in our plans and not consult the ones who holds the future in our, in his hands? That's arrogance. And James says that's evil. That's idol worship. If we're not careful, time quickly passes and in our routine, we are often blinded by our busyness because we equate good plans with good Christian living. Listen to this from the book Crazy Busy by Kevin Young. He says, busyness does not mean you are a faithful or fruitful Christian. It only means you are busy, just like everyone else. And like everyone else, your joy, your heart, and your soul are in danger. We need the word of God to set us free. If only we could make time for an appointment. <laughs> I love the way he, he says that. Proverbs 19.21 reminds us, Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We make all kinds of plans, but it's God's plans in the end that will stand. The answer to our overconfidence and arrogance is in verse 17 of James, in James here. It says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. Our problem is that we, 
don't know what to do. We just fail to do it. Verse 17 goes directly to the heart. Delayed obedience is not obedience at all. We have convinced ourselves that we can do right later. How many th- parents, how many times is that a frustration for you with kids? You tell them to do something. Oh, I'll do that later. Mom. Oh, mom, let me finish this game. Oh, mom, let me. Delayed obedience is not obedience. We as parents get frustrated with kids about that, but they're just a chip off the old block. We do that with God all the time as adults. In our planning, we often hear from God's word, but we sin or, because we ignore him and make our plans anyway, saying, oh God, I'll do that later, or I need some time to think about it, or here's the classic Christian line, I'll pray about it. I'll pray about that. We don't need to pray about commands that God has already given to us. You know, things like, you think about it, I know I should be a cheerful giver, but there's this sale on Amazon this week, and it's only this week. I'll, I'll give some time else. Or I know my neighbor is going through a rough time, but I'm sure their family will take care of them. I'm, I'm too busy this week to take on somebody else's burdens. How long are we going to be arrogant and disobey what God has made clear for us today? That's why I beg you to listen to God's word and simply be obedient. Delayed obedience is not obedience at all. Verse 17 also, it sets up the next section. Let's look at a group of people who live a lifestyle of delay. This particular group of people in this text, that they attend James's church. In Jerusalem, this group of people happen to be very rich. As a point of clarity, in the church, especially in the New Testament church, you had four categories of people. There were godly people who were very poor. There were ungodly people who were very poor. There are godly, wealthy people and ungodly, wealthy people. This passage is about the ungodly, wealthy people that attend the church that James pastors in Jerusalem. James chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have flattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. These ungodly wealthy people in James' church, they were notorious for hoarding their possessions. They were so stingy that they would literally allow their wealth to corrode and go to waste before they shared it with others. James says that they would defraud their employees. They would mistreat and cheat people because they had the power to do so. They viewed others as lower than themselves, always wanting to be served, but never the servant. What can we learn from James as he chastises these ungodly rich people? They teach us that 
Two brutally worldviews expose our heart's motivation when it comes to money and material possessions. One is you're either blinded by ownership or humbled by stewardship. It's one or the other. You're either blinded by ownership or humbled by stewardship. Ownership says, I don't belong to God. Nothing I have belongs to God. In fact, I deserve everything that I have because I worked hard for it. And I answer only to myself. Think about it this way. Just say you were to say, you know what, I'm going to give to God. I'm going to throw this money up in the air and whatever goes to heaven is God's and whatever falls back to the ground, I get to keep. (laughs) A person who views it as ownership That's the way they view their gift to God. Ownership convinces you that you always have the final say. You are the voice of reason. You are self-made. You are the boots. You pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. You wake yourself up every morning. You are in control. You believe that ultimately you are God. You control everything. But humility, the opposite, produces an attitude of stewardship which screams that there is someone beyond you. It says, I belong to God. I am created by God, and I am his child. Everything that I am, everything that I have, it all belongs to him. It is a gift from God, because I am the Lord's steward. The same illustration. I would be a fool to throw the money in the air to test you, because... Besides, it's all yours anyways, God. Everything that I have, I'm breathing your air and I'm standing upon the ground that you created. A good steward is wise because they know that everything on this planet will spoil. A good steward recognizes we will have to give an account with what God has given to us. It says, to whom much is given, much is required. We have been, as a people, abundantly blessed. And we are blessed to be a blessing. How are you using the blessing that God has given to you to be a blessing to others? That's humble stewardship. The right thing to do, this is obedience to God. Look back at verse 6. He says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person and he didn't resist you. He's referring to Jesus here. All too common, this was the fate of many Christians in this time. We saw this happen with many of Christ's disciples. Paul, Stephen, and the author of this passage, James, he, they were murdered because of their undying faith to Jesus. Nevertheless, Jesus is the one that we all condemned and murdered because of our sin. None of us were born placing our confidence in Christ. None of us were righteous. All of us are all sinners. You know, as I was hiking up the mountain, I was not used to not being able to breathe. As you get to those higher elevations, we got to around 13,000 feet, and I could not go from here to that playground without stopping to breathe. And no matter how many times I took deep breaths, I felt like I could not catch my breath. It was miserable at some points. But think about this, from the very moment you came into this world 
and you took that first deep breath, that time you inhaled oxygen freely outside of your mother's womb, you began the natural progression to presume upon God's grace. We don't own the air that we breathe. It comes freely from God as grace from Him. You know, kids don't think like that. Kids don't understand grace as a young child, but we naturally begin down a trajectory that incites us to make plans without considering Him, to allow material possessions to corrupt our hearts and to treat others around us as inferior. The truth is, we're not kids anymore, but we still act like it when it comes to our plans and when it comes to our possessions, and we respond just like a child. How does a child respond, a toddler, when you try taking something away from them? No, mine! They learn those two words so quickly. Mine! No, mine! And we, as adults, when it comes to God, when it comes to our plans, and when it comes to our possessions, we're like that toddler. We tell God, no mine! (laughs) When it was the parent who provided everything for that child, when it's God who provides everything for us, Jesus died for us even though we mistreated him. James says he did not resist. He willingly became sin so we could be righteous. He submitted his plans to God. Not my will, but yours be done. He had it all in heaven, but he gave it all up and emptied himself. Second Corinthians says he became poor so we could become rich because he loved us. He was obedient even to the death on the cross. That's how Jesus loved us. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Some of you might say today, Pastor Robert, my story is a little different. I desire to make plans, but my life is in such a whirlwind. I don't know what to do next. I attempt to make plans. I'm going through a tough time and I I need direction. How can I trust God right now? What can I do now? If that's you, I want you to listen to the, the ending of what James says here in the final part of our passage. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Remember, James is teaching and he's writing to a group of individuals who are persecuted. A group in Jerusalem who do not know whether they they are going to live the next day because they are being persecuted for their faith. And so he's telling them, be patient. How do we trust in Jesus? James tells us. We show our patience. It sounds simple, right? But patience isn't natural at all. Patience is actually a gift, the fruit of the Spirit. You supernaturally have this gift of patience. We often misunderstand the purpose of patience. James, back in chapter 1, said that patience will have its perfecting work. What kind of work? Paul Tripp says, patience is not just about what you will get at the end of the wait. Hear this truth. 
Patience is about what you will become as you wait. The reason why James talks to us about patience and having that patience and the way that the reason why God is so sometimes so long between the moving of his hand in your case is because in that time, patience will have its perfecting work. Meaning that through that struggle, God is working in your life. He is building your faith, molding you and making you into the man or woman that God has you to be. Verse 7, he uses the illustration here of the farmers. When farmers plant a crop, and they stop, and they wait for months on end, they plant the crop in the spring, and they harvest it in the fall, do they think those six months between the planting and the harvesting is wasted time? Do they? No, they don't. Why do farmers not think that that's wasted time? It's because the seed they planted into the ground the time that it takes for that seed to grow into a stock or to grow into a fruit takes time. Just like as God puts the heat or the struggle in your life, so many times he does not take that struggle away from you immediately. Why? Just because of that, like that fruit is growing or that wheat or whatever that is that we put in the ground grows into this marvelous thing. God is doing that same work in your life. So James says, be patient. Wait. God will send showers of blessings here and there upon you during this time, but joyfully and enthusiastically wait for the fruit of the harvest and count it all joy. Patience is a lot like faith. It's believing something is happening even when you can't see it happening. So what does patience produce as you wait? What does it produce as you wait? It exposes our idols. Patience calls out all the things we put our trust in. All the counterfeit idols we can clearly be seen if we let patience have its perfecting work. How do we know that patience is working? (laughs) We begin to complain, don't we? We can begin to complain about everything else that's going on in our life. God, why is this happening to me right now? Why are you doing this to me? I'm not ready. How long is this going to last? That's evidence that God is rooting out those idols and that patience is having its perfect work. It also shows us where our trust is located. Who have I placed my hope in? Do I believe that he is good? Do I believe he will never give me more than I can bear? Do I believe his yoke is easy and his burden is light? Do I believe that he has placed godly people around me? Church, let us not neglect how God can and will make us more like him through our hardships, through our struggles, and never forget that no matter how grim it may get, you have a hope that is beyond this world and a spirit inside of you to guarantee that hope. Don't forget this. Confidence in Jesus is having confidence in his character. God is concerned about the outcome of your faith. So many of us will only realize how fallen our world really is when our world 
falls down around us. That's why you can't trust him if you don't know him. It's very difficult to trust someone you don't know. And two of the ways that Christ has made himself known to us is through his scripture and through the body of believers. That's why we are called Christians, because we represent Christ. So as we struggle now, as we're trying to make our way through this life, this drudgery, James gives us the instructions of, believer, be patient, knowing that God is at work. God is molding you and making you into the person that he wants you to be. Know that we do have an unknown future, but we don't have to stress. We don't have to worry. Why? Because we have a God that we know that holds the future in his hands. So because of that, we can submit to him. We can trust him. While we can't predict what tomorrow will bring, we can place all of our confidence in the trust and the one who holds the future. So with that, be patient. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this time that we're able to get together and learn about you from your word, of how you revealed yourself to us through your word, and how we can be around each other and receive the blessings of fellowship inside the body of believers. God, I pray today for those of us, we go out and we celebrate this day. We thank you for the opportunity to live in a country that we can worship your name freely. We thank you for those who have died to give us that freedom. Lord, please allow us not to take that for granted, that we live in the freest nation in the history of the face of this earth. We thank you for that. God, we thank you most of all for the freedom we have in your son, freedom from sin, that we can live a life that brings you honor and glory because you broke the chains and the bondage and slavery of sin in our lives. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.